You're listening to The Fabric Podcast. In this episode, you're about to hear the final message Greg Meyer offered before his retirement. We kicked off this live message with a video montage honoring him. You can see that and some of the visual elements that don't translate particularly well to podcast on our YouTube channel. We are so grateful for all that Greg has given this community. Listen as he shares a last little bit of the gospel according to Greg. That was not fair. <laughs> Woo. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, 17 years of experimenting. Thank you for being the kind of place we could just have all that fun and know that it all has meaning at the same time. I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty special thing. Watching all that and that long history and um, knowing that it all has purpose and, uh, you know, a vision behind it and... Uh, and then my thanks for you being the kind of people that we could mess around and figure this stuff out step by step reminds me of kind of where I want to begin today in talking with you. And that goes back to 2014. So Fabric had, was Jacob Swell originally, was about seven years old and uh, seven, eight years old and getting some attention from some people anyway, as I blow my nose. Uh, and... Uh, there was a conference going on uh, called Faith in Everyday Life Conference, Faith in Everyday Life, and they thought, well, Greg, we should have Greg Meyer come speak to this. So, okay, I'll come. Uh, so I remember I walked into this room, just a big room full of pastors and church leaders and for this Faith in Everyday Life, and, and I started this way. I said, it's a little strange for me to be here talking to you about Faith in Everyday Life. Because faith in everyday life isn't something we do. And I left a very appropriate pregnant pause. And you could tell the crowd was very uncomfortable. Started hearing some murmurs. And then I said, faith in everyday life is the only thing we do. If it doesn't have to do with everyday life, why do it at all? Why devote staff to it? Why devote resources to it? Why devote space to it? Why devote programs towards it if it doesn't have something to do with everyday life? Why do we even make a distinction between faith and everyday life? I mean, you know, it isn't only what you say, it's how you say it. It's how you frame up the question. It's how you understand the world around you that makes all the difference. Um, we, we lived in a generation back then, and it's what I saw coming, and that certainly hasn't changed at all now, but where people have just given up on church because it didn't have much to do with their life. They didn't see the relevance. They didn't see the value in it. They didn't see the connection. They had their experience on Sunday morning, and then they had the rest of their experience the rest of the day. And there's a group of people who said, well, let's, let's take the faith stuff and let's try to make it apply to everyday life when they were, the big point was there never was a difference between the two. Maybe we need to stop making that distinction. What if there was a community that didn't see any difference between faith and life? What if it's not because they made life all churchy? No, actually, the exact opposite. It's just they saw everything they did, whether it was big or whether it was little, whether it was grand, whether it was simple, as part of the whole. Part of the whole. You know, I know distinctions are important. There is such thing as faith. There is such thing as life. I get it. But, you know, are, do they have to be different? Can they just be two ways of looking at the same thing? And is that maybe what we're trying to really hold on to? I mean, 
these distinctions can be important. I mean, when you don't have any distinctions and you can't say this is this and this is that, you know, things get messy, right? I mean, it's easy for, um, you know, for people just to kind of start to dismiss you because there's no clarity. You don't, people don't know what you stand. And when you can make these easy distinctions, when you can say this is this and this is that and this is right and this is wrong, you know, well, then you can do things like, uh, well, people know where you stand, right? And you know where you stand. People don't accuse you of being wishy-washy anymore. Um, your life, the world around you becomes more predictable. And, and face it, when you have nice, neat categories and clear, you know, all that stuff is nice and clear for you and certain for you, life's a lot easier. Life's a lot easier. But, you know, you kind of wonder. Yeah, we do need those parts of your life. I mean, if you're driving down the street, right? And you're coming up to an intersection and you know there's cars coming from the side and they've got these things, yeah, up there. You kind of hope that everybody knows what that means and they're going to stop, right? I mean, you don't want to have to everybody get out of their car and talk about it and decide what it means and, you know, whether they're going to do it and who should do it and stuff. No, you know, like, we want to have an agreement. People get that. They stop. The same thing with things like this, you know, two plus two is four. If we had to stop and have a conversation about whether that's true or not every time it comes up in our life or something similar to it, we wouldn't get anywhere. I mean, two plus two is four. Let's all agree with that. I mean, there's a reason. There's some real strengths in, uh, you know, knowing certain things and having them be that simple and that clear. The problem is there's a lot of things in life that don't quite work that way. In fact, there's an awful lot of things in life that don't work quite that way. While our rules, while our, our norms, while our standards all come in handy a lot of times, there's something that's lost in it. Because you see, there's another thing we know about rules, right? We know that, and you've heard me say this before, rules without relationship creates rebellion. Rules without relationship creates rebellion. Like, you all know that already, right? The sociologists have a technical term for that. It's called teenager. <laughs> Sorry, teenagers, but you know it's true. <laughs> and God bless you for it. But, but it isn't just teenagers, right? I mean, you know that at work. If there's all kinds of rules, stuff you're supposed to do, but there's not relationships behind it, I mean, it just doesn't work. That's one of the rubbing spots. That's one of the tensions that you've got. It's, it's true with government and rules and regulations that the government sets. Uh, it's certainly true for the police who are in charge with enforcing those rules, enforcing those laws. If they don't have a relationship, things don't go well. Rules without relationship create rebellion, and that's a problem. There's something about relationship that can ease all that. It, it, it can interpret between it. It helps us adapt. It helps us manage. It helps us explain. It helps us um, build some trust and respect so people know where these rules come from and why they're there and realize maybe they're not quite as hard and fast as they sound on the outside. But, you know, they're there for us to help us in some really important ways. Yeah, you know, while we would like our rules, we'd like our norms, we'd like our standards to be absolute and so on, we know that they really can't be. And we know they can't be because there's this thing that's in the way that is the universal problem, and that thing is called perspective, right? Perspective. So um, let, let, let me do an experiment with you guys, okay? You're, you game for this? All right, so um, we got roughly got our people split in half here, all right? So I'd like everybody on this side, I'm, I'm gonna, not yet, but I want you to close your eyes, okay? And on this side, I want you to look up at the screen and see what you see. Don't say anything, all right? Kids, you can do this too, all right? You don't have to be an adult. This is for kids as well. So, um, uh, so just hold on to it, and then we're going to switch, right? So close your eyes. Everybody on stage right, house left, 
Take a look. What do you see? You got it? Pretty simple? Got it? Okay. Back to blank. All right. You can open your eyes. We're going to switch now. You guys close your eyes. House uh, right. You're going to open your eyes and got them closed. You're not cheating. All right. All right. Put it up there. You got it? Pretty simple. All right. Put it blank. All right. Now, everybody open your eyes. On the count of three, I want you to say out loud what you saw. All right? One, two, three. <laughs> what? <laughs> One, two, three. Everybody here said nine. Everybody else here said six. Okay, you're pretty smart. You got it, right? I mean, it was upside down, right? Yeah, okay. But you all saw the same thing, but what was different? The perspective was different. Okay, you ready to do one more try here? All right, so you guys close your eyes first, right? All right, close your eyes. You're watching. Go ahead. Bring up the next one. You taking that in? Okay. Blank. Close your eyes. You guys close your eyes. You guys open your eyes. Ready? Take a look. What do you see? All right. Take it down. All right. Count again. Did you see, you, tell me whether you saw a guy with a beard or a guy with a mustache? One, two, three. Both. Okay. Both. All right. All right. I mean, you guys are all smart. You get it. All right. You know, it depends. Was it right side up or upside down? It's the exact same image, but your perspective changes. Um, here, look at this one together. This is, you're only going to have a second to see this. Read that. Oh, did you get it? What did it say? Really? Oh. Who, who saw something else? Oh, ooh, that says something. <laughs> Put it back up there. Does everybody see good? What, what if you focus on the white instead of the black? Oh, depends what you're really focusing on. What are you paying attention to? Whether you see good or whether you see evil in the world. Boy, that one kind of has some deeper meaning, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later, Jeanette. Um, last, last try. Okay. You're only going to see this one for a second. What is it? What did you see? Who saw an old person, old people? Who saw a candle holder? Who saw a minstrel and another person listening to their music? All right, put it up there again. Take a little longer look. So which is it? Is it a candle, is it a candle holder? Is it a two old people, or is it a minstrel and a listener? Or is it, depends on what you're focusing on, your perspective. So this is how it works. Uh, let's look at this next image here. So, uh, that object in the middle, we're going to call that object in the middle, capital T truth. That is the absolute truth, right? It's a shape. It's a little wedge, a circular wedge that's the same height and length. And when you cast shadows on it, you either see a square or you see a circle, or you see a triangle. Which one is the correct shadow? Which, they are all true. But depending on where you're coming from, you're going to see something different, and you're going to think the truth is that. We, we just have to realize that perspective matters. It, it changes. We do not have the ability. I mean, this is sort of a concrete way of explaining the transcendent experience we all have with this universe that we live in. We are not capable of holding the truth. 
We cannot see it ourselves. We just see its reflection. We see its shadow. We see its presence around us. And we call it true, but we never are quite sure. We're never exactly sure that that is what it is because perspective shows us that nothing is written in stone. Nothing is written in stone. So some of you know this, right? Yeah. Some of you maybe like forgot that was even here. You don't notice it. It just sits there quietly, right? This stone has, for those who are listening on the podcast, this is a piece of granite. It's a granite stone, and inscribed in it is, nothing is written in stone, which is funny and ironic, and I love it, right? Um, but so here's, here's a quick story about this stone. Uh, we were beginning, we're just in the summer phase of getting ready to launch uh, fabric in the fall, and I was in the hometown with my whole family. We were visiting my parents and going shopping. We went to a little store, and I saw this stone. I thought, well, actually, Natalie saw this stone. Yeah, she's making sure she got credit. Um, <laughs> Natalie saw this stone and said, Dad, you got to see this. Like, this is just us, right? And I said, that is really cool. But it was like 50-some bucks, and, eh, you know, it's cool, but not that cool, right? So... We went home, we're driving home, and as we're driving home, and I'm thinking about this, I said, you know, this isn't just cool, like, this is who we are. I mean, this is to the heart of it all, both the irony and the message. It's, this is it, and I, I got it. I'm, Chris was sitting next to me, I'm sure he's just driving her nuts, talking about how I regretted not buying this thing. And so we get home, and unloading the car, and I just say, you know, I just got to unload fast because I got to go, I got to find that this is pre-cell phone or pre-Google you know, Google search. So I got to go home, find the number of this store. I'm going to call them up and tell them not to sell it. I'm going to come back and get it sometime. And Chris looks at me and says, it's under the back seat. <laughs> Some people are definitely smarter than me. Um, so, yes, it's ironic. Yes, it's witty. But, but it's really, I mean, it's one of the better shadows cast from truth to me because it really does say something so important that nothing is written in stone. Um, let, me, let me fill you in on why I think it's so important um, to who we are. Six, seven hundred years before the time of Jesus, Israel was in a really bad place. Their glory days were over. They were, um, um, you know losing all of their land, they're losing their identity as a people. And there was a prophet among them at this time whose name was Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah was trying to help them figure this out and do what they needed to do. And he says, he said, he takes the voice of Yahweh and uh, the, the voice of the Lord, and he says, um, surely the day is coming in which I will bring you a new covenant. I will give you a new covenant, a covenant, a deal, a promise, right? I'll give you new, not, he says, not like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand out of Egypt, a covenant which they broke. Now, remember that coming out of Egypt, that was the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes up the mountain, he comes back with the two stone tablets written in the stone were the ten laws, the things they were supposed to obey, and they broke them. Literally, Moses actually broke the stone covenant as well. But what they broke, he says, it will not be like the former covenant I made, but I will make a new covenant with you, and I will, and this is a critical piece, I will write it on your hearts. The word for write there in Hebrew is the same word as inscribe, to carve, ouch, hurts, 
to have something written in your heart. I mean, we know what that means, right, to have something written in our hearts, but you kind of realize with that language that that's kind of hard. It's going to demand a lot. It's going to ask a lot. And isn't it kind of iffy? I mean, really, you're going to govern the world? You're going to create the future by using people's hearts? You're going to just write in the hearts? What, I mean, what if they don't feel like it? What if they don't get it? What if they lose the track of it? What if they make mistakes? But nonetheless, that's what God was choosing at that point. That's what we were being shown. I mean, there's two ways of encouraging people. There's two ways of influencing people to do what you want. One is you can build a fence around them, right? You can use rules. You can use laws. You can use regulations. And you say, as long as you stay inside the corral, you're okay. When you go outside, you're going to be in trouble. So just stay inside, right? That's one way. Another way that you can do it, and by the way, those of you who tried this with your kids, there was an age, and then there's an age where that doesn't work anymore, right? There's another way of doing it, and that is you put it in their hearts. You share your values, you share your hopes, you share your dreams, you let them see your life as a model, and they grow up with it with inside them. And it isn't enforcing them from the outside in, but it's being expressed from them from the inside out. It was written on their hearts. That's what it's all about. John, uh, one of the gospel writers, one of the four who wrote uh, a book that's in the New Testament of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus, John talks about Jesus in the very, very beginning of his book as the Word of God, the Logos. Logos, word, message, story, the message of God. And he says, as he talks about the, his way of talking about the birth of Jesus, and the Word, the Logos, the message, became flesh and lived among us. What a risky, dangerous way to come into the world and have your message be known. I mean, why can't you pass down the rule book? Show us what it's supposed to be. Make it exact. No, it's going to be made in flesh and live among us. Something we need to remember when we think about this whole enterprise. Jesus came in order to live among us, not to rule over us. Jesus came to live among us, not to rule over us. That makes a lot of difference in how we decide to be church. Then John gets to the end of his, his story about the life of Jesus. He gets to the point where Jesus is going to be killed. He's been arrested. He's being beaten and stuff like that. Uh, and, he, and the Jews who have arrested him and are unhappy with him because he's taking away their power, he's threatening them, they bring him to uh, Pilate, who is the Roman authority at the time, to, um, because they, you know, He's the only one who has authority to uh, put Jesus to death. But, you know, Pilate's heart isn't in it. I mean, he's like, he, he's kind of heard good stories about this guy. He's very popular with the people. A lot of people, he's done a lot of good. Like, it's not his problem. Why should he have to do this? He's gonna, he doesn't want to get all mixed up in all this sort of stuff. But the, but the powers that be are insistent. And so Pilate pulls him back in the back room, away from the crowds, and, and they have a conversation. And it really ends up with Jesus saying to him, I came so that the truth could be known. And Pilate, this is the whole story right here, Pilate turns to him, Pilate looks at Jesus, looks him in the eye, and he says, he asks this, he asks, what is truth? What is truth? And you know what Jesus said? Nobody knows. Just a new paragraph starts, we don't get his response. Most people say he didn't answer. I think he answered. I think he answered very, very clearly. Think about Pilate's looking at Jesus in the eye, and he's saying, what is truth? And Jesus says, I can't speak it. It can't be said, but you're looking at it. 
What is truth? Here's the takeaway. Truth cannot be written down. Truth cannot be written down. It can only be lived out imperfectly, full of mistakes. Unintended consequences are inevitable. Regrets will be part of the bargain. But truth cannot be written down. It can only be lived out. And until we begin to figure that out and be a part of that together. So my, my prayer is Fabric's hope for you, I should say, Fabric's hope for you is that you would have the vision to know what to try to live out, that you would have permission to go and to do it, even though you don't know how, that you would have the support to try it when you don't know what to do next and you're afraid to do it, and finally, that you would have the accompaniment, you would have the companionship along that way as you try to do it. And you'd, you have those things, you'd have the vision you have the permission, you have the support, and you have the companionship to practice it. Practice it. All right? You can circle that word if you're playing with your outlines because that's an important word because you do not master it. You do not figure it out. You can be 120 years old, and you will just still be practicing, and that is all you're expected to do, and that's good enough. So it's kind of like this. As long as we're pulling things out of the past, um, this is from... Uh, 17 years ago, too. So, what are these? This is truth, by the way. All right? This is my truth. This is your truth, or his truth and their truth. Doesn't matter, right? Did you ever notice truths come in polar opposites? Yeah. That's kind of how we work, right? My truth, your truth. And this is the bridge between them. So here we are, we got my truth, right? Democrat, whatever you decide. Over here you got Republican or pro-choice, pro-life, both conveniently got the word pro. Um, you know, if you're a teenager and you're trying to kind of figure out who are out in the world, maybe, you know, this is um, nerd and over here is uh, jock. Or um, maybe emo, or, and uh, what's another choice? I'm kind of beyond that part of my life. <laughs> Annoying laugh. Preppy, thank you. Preppy, okay. Um, you know, and it's really nice being here because this is nice and solid. I know where I am. I can stand here all day. I, I can do this. This is comfortable. This is certain. This is sure. You know, and this is my truth. But I, you know, I have to admit, I know that. Not all the truth is here. There is some truth over there. I don't really want to admit that. I don't want to go there, and I certainly don't belong over there, but i got to make my choice, and so here I am. But, you know, and you get in the middle here, though, and all of a sudden you realize that, gee, that doesn't quite fit me, and that doesn't quite fit me. There's something bigger. There's something more real here. And so you walk in the middle, and it's kind of bouncy. <laughs> and it might break. If it does, you all pretend it was supposed to, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but this is kind of uncomfortable. But you know what? You get, I get this sense that this is why life was meant to be lived. It's here. It's, it's hard to do, but, you know, I can practice. I can learn. And it seems to not have all the certainty at those sides, but it's got something else here that really matters, something that's really important. Uh, let me tell you a story about this. Um, this is how fabric started. 
I mean, I was over on one of these ends or the other, and I was part of church, and what I saw in the world is there's two choices. There's church as it is, or there is quit. That's what was going on. Keep doing church like it is. Catholic, Protestant, mainline, evangelical, whatever, people are doing this, or people are just saying, nope, none of this makes sense. I'm out. Give up. So either keep doing it or give up on it. That seemed to be the two choices that going on in the world. And I thought, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, there's more to it. I mean, it doesn't have to be either this, which is feeling maybe like it's been written in stone, or that, which is like there's nothing left anymore. I think church is something different. And what I, what I sensed was that here in the middle was what I would call being church. Not going to church, not having a church, not belonging to a church, but actually this is who I am. It's an identity thing. It's not a, a what an attachment thing or a possession thing or an object sort of thing. And so we decided, well, let's try to figure this out a little bit. And so we're over here and we started messing around and doing some stuff. But you know, trying to make church, we were really just rearranging the deck chairs, and I really probably never got beyond about right here. You know, just a little bit off of certainty, and really just not. We didn't do enough to really interest anybody who hadn't given up on it, and we're doing enough to make anybody who was over here just annoyed by us. <laughs> and so finally decided, no, you know, I, I was called to reinvent this and to figure out what it means to be church. And so we started this. And um, fortunately, it wasn't just me. Uh, I had a vision and shared it. So we, we did. And uh, you know, we had no, uh, I, I had no exit strategy. I had enough support to get going. Probably had enough ex I had enough support to uh, get myself into trouble. And uh, we didn't, there weren't really models this. There weren't many people trying to do experiments like we were. There weren't a lot of thought leaders. There was no one putting together um, sermon series that, we would, that seemed to make sense with what we were trying to do and who we were trying to be. And uh, so we were having to figure this all out on our own. And fortunately, I had some wonderful people. Heidi Esposito was with me from the beginning trying to figure out what does this mean for kids. And Melissa was along from the beginning and her family trying to figure out how does this, what does this mean for community. And uh, people like Chris came along finding ways we could interpret this through the arts and music. And we had um, Maya and Della and Jen helping us figure out what to do, how we do this with kids. And Katie Kennedy helping us from really early on saying, you got to make some sense of this, Greg. You don't know how to run this stuff. Um, and, and you guys, and you guys, and, and we did it. And, you know, truly, this has been one of the greatest things in my life. Beyond family, um, coffee, sailing, and ice cream, this has been really, really good. And I, I just can't say how thankful I am for that. You know, um, when I'm over here, um, I, I petrify the truth. I turn it into stone, right? I try to write it in stone. And uh, when I do that, I lose something of myself and I make it convenient. It works better for me. It's nice and easy, but uh, only for how I am right now. And it doesn't really have room for you unless you're willing to fit into my peg hole. And uh, boy, I sure miss out on a lot of life. And, and as for God, I mean, God is only as big as what I can see from here because this is my truth. And so. God's limited by my imagination, or to use a biblical language, when I'm here, God is created in my image, not me being created in God's image. And so, if I can say such a thing as, like, God calls us, right? The third strand, our life, deeply woven with those three strands, calls us here to live in the messy middle. This messy middle. Hard place to be where we need to be.
It's where I think we kind of have to be. And this is where also a lot of fun happens. <laughs> I mean, this is exciting. This is, you don't know what's coming next. And when what's coming next is hard, you got people to do it with. So again, I guess, you know, my prayer for all of you, for me, at this time, is that you may have that vision. You might have permission to keep figuring this out into the future in your lives and for this community that you would um, find the support to continue doing it, whatever that means in all those aspects of life, and also that you would have companionship along the way. Because the best of life happens when we do it together, deeply woven within ourselves, among ourselves, and with this universe. So thank you. Thank you, and can I get an amen on that? Amen. Thanks for listening. May this simply be the start of the conversation. Reach out if you want help connecting with a group virtually or in the Twin Cities and tag at FabricMPLS with your own thoughts on social media. You can also stay up to date and find other resources on our website, FabricMPLS.com.